Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercies shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. Well, good morning. I'd just like to add my welcome with the other pastors who've been up here before me. Uh, glad to have you with us, joining us either uh, live this today or maybe you're watching this at a later date. This is Mother's Day of 2020. We're glad that you're here. 2020 has been kind of an unusual year, hasn't it? Uh, and uh, we feel uh, one, one group that we kind of have compassion for is our, uh, the seniors graduating high school especially. And so uh, if you're a member at Calvary, you should have gotten an email this week, and we'd like you to make sure you read that, take that to heart, where you can adopt a graduate and be a blessing in their life. So please don't forget to do that. This is Mother's Day uh, 2020, as I said, and uh, my mother has moved to heaven. Uh, she moved a couple of years ago, and, uh, but my mother-in-law is still uh, with us on this side, and we're so glad of that. She raised a, a great daughter who raised two other great daughters. So I've got a lot of uh, moms. My mom raised a great daughter as well, a great mom. So we have a lot of moms to be thankful for today in our family as well. Um, today, uh, I'm not going to preach about motherhood. Um, I generally don't. Uh, but I do want to look at this psalm. This is a follow-up psalm from the one we covered last week where David confessed his sin. After that and what God did, this is sort of a record of what God did. Uh, Psalm 91 that we looked at last week was just definitely David pouring out his heart. That was what he was going through. But in Psalm 32, we find what happened, what God did. And it, I want to deal today a little bit with forgiveness, whether it is God forgiving us or us forgiving other people. Uh, you may not understand or realize this, but when you hold unforgiveness in your life, that is someone sinned against you and you do not release that, that pain that you have, you don't forgive that person, it affects you in many, many, many ways. Um, in fact, uh, just about every area that touches your life. Um, some might be more obvious than others. Uh, one way that it affects you uh, is, is just mentally. Uh, you carry that around with you all the time. When you refuse to forgive, when you refuse to move on, uh, you're, the saying is you're letting that person live rent-free in your head. Uh, you, they don't 
sometimes even understand that they offended you or hurt you, but you walk around all the time angry and upset. And when you do that, that definitely affects your emotional life. You can't be at peace. You cannot be calm. You cannot love others the way you should when you're holding that kind of unforgiveness and, and I would even say hatred uh, in your heart, which obviously affects you spiritually. Spiritually, you can't be right with God if you're not right with, with others. First, you've got to get right with God. Then you get right with other people. But the Bible tells us as much as is possible to live at peace with all men. And then if you are holding unforgiveness, it's going to affect you socially. Because let me just, in case you had not figured this out, nobody wants to be around a grump, okay? A grumpy person. Nobody wants to hang out with you. You're wondering why people don't like you. It might be because you're angry or you've got this unforgiveness uh, in your life. We think social distancing is a new thing, but most people stay socially distanced away from people that hold on to unforgiveness. And believe it or not, it affects you financially. And, and you say, oh, my ability to earn money, but no, how you spend your money. How you live your life will affect how you spend money. And one I left off, because I think we don't really realize this, but unforgiveness will affect you physically as well. It, it, will, it will hurt you. In this psalm, we're going to see that. David says, when I held on to my sin, my bones dried up. It, it was just, it was a horrible thing for him. I, I have a doctor friend, and I... I asked him one time, if people would either find forgiveness from God or give forgiveness to those who sinned against them, do you think that it would affect the people in the hospital, the people that are patients? He said 90% of them would go home. Now, that was just his opinion on the fly. There's no statistical thing for that. But that was his opinion, and, and I would agree. I would agree that so many times, because of what you're doing your body is in such turmoil. Your body is not meant to live. You are creating stress for yourself. And, and whether stress is good or bad stress, it hurts you. It affects your body. And when you live with that, you're living with this constant stress uh, on yourself. And so it can destroy you. So it's very, very, very important that you understand that you get forgiveness and that you also give forgiveness. So I'm talking today about how do I get rid of guilt out of Psalm 32. And what I want you to make sure you take home with you today is this. Unconfessed sin brings death. Forgiveness brings life. You have heard uh, this read. And by the way, I, I was turning in my Bible while I was talking because uh, we're all aware of the Lord's Prayer. And when he shared the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, he said this is how you pray, and you know the Lord's Prayer probably. And then... He said so many great things in that prayer about who God is, how God supplies for us, how God is a ruler and he's sovereign, uh, uh, that, he, that he forgives us and he leads us not into temptation. And then the very first thing Jesus said when he finished that was, because if you don't forgive other people their trespasses, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. That's pretty important coming from the mouth of Christ. So I, I would first encourage you today, if you're a person living with unforgiveness in your own life today you need to let that go and i'm gonna i'm gonna give you some things out of this psalm that you can do not only to to know you have forgiveness from god but also to grant forgiveness to others i, I would like to before i jump into the actual scripture I, i'm talking about unforgiveness and what i've found in life because i found it in my own life 
for a long time, I didn't understand what that word meant. And usually when I ask people what they think it means, it means forgetting about what the person did or kind of letting it go. And, and that, that's getting a little closer to it. But let me just tell you, you cannot forget what happened to you. Uh, that is a physical impossibility. And I know I'm getting older. My memory's going just like yours is. But did you know it's actually impossible for you to forget anything? Your brain has stored it. Now, the, the connection might not be there. You might not can find the on switch. But, but everything you've ever experienced in your life is locked away in your brain. And, and when you realize that, you realize that to live dwelling on the things that hurt you are going to hurt you, okay? Uh, it doesn't hurt the person that offended you. It only hurts yourself. And so you have to grant forgiveness. And forgiveness is not getting the revenge that is rightfully yours. Now notice what I said there. You have a rightful opportunity for revenge. But the Bible says that's the worst way to go. The best way to go is to grant forgiveness. That is that you don't get personal revenge for how people maybe have offended you. And you say, well, what do you do with that? You trust God, number one, that God knows all things. He knows you uh, as, as well as he knows them. And guess what? You're not so innocent yourself. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, do not despair when men think ill of you because you're much worse than they think. We all have problems, and when we have unforgiveness, we set ourselves up as a, a little, our own deity that we can judge others, that we can determine others. I understand there's evil in the world, Trust me, I'm from Scott Irish descent and a southern South Carolina redneck. I, I get it. I get that. I come from a family that, that uh, we have Irish Alzheimer's. That's when you forget everything but the grudge. And so I've had to learn what forgiveness actually means. And, and so I want you to see here what David starts off with. Now, David is talking about his personal being forgiven of God, and, and I'm not being real specific. I'll, I'll stop and kind of say it when, when I need to be. But I'm not being specific between forgiveness we get from God and forgiveness we give others. But I believe you can stay with me here. These first few verses that were read, the first two verses, we see a double blessing. This word blessed is, is a word means being in the highest state of blessing. And there's a double blessing. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and sin is covered. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, you are blessed when God has forgiven. He does not get revenge that is rightfully his, your sin. You say, well, what does God do when I sin? How, what happens if God is not getting the revenge that is rightfully his? Well, for those of us who have come under Christ, and if you are not under Christ, if you don't follow Christ, if you don't acknowledge Christ as, as Lord and Savior, then you're not where I'm about to say. But those that are under Christ, Christ took the revenge of God on himself. In other words, God took our sin on himself and, and exacted his revenge not on the sinner, but on himself. You said, that's crazy. Exactly. That's why no man's ever thought of that before. Only God could think of that. Every religion man has created was about how man could be good enough to go to God. When God brought Christianity and, and from 
the beginning of time on, that's where he was headed. He took care of the sin for us, and there is nothing we can bring that is a worthy sacrifice to God, except, it says, once we're saved, in the book of Hebrews, it says, we bring a sacrifice of praise. We can offer him praise and thankfulness for what he has done. And so David here says in these verses, blessed is the one when your transgression is forgiven and your sin is covered. How is our sin covered? David didn't understand this fully yet because he did not live after Christ, but he is thinking of the blood on the mercy seat, which is a physical interpretation on this planet of the physical reality that we find in heaven, where Jesus took his own blood that he shed on the cross, walked into the holy of holies of heaven, right into the very throne room where God dwells, and put his own blood on the mercy seat, that God has, had made and prepared for that day right there in heaven. And so God, instead of getting his revenge from us, took it out on Jesus. You can find that in the book of Isaiah. It says it pleased him, it pleased God to bruise the Messiah for our sin. And so if God would do that, how much now does he love us? Does he forgive us of our sin? In verses 3 and 4 is where David describes that when he was not forgiven, how much it ate him up. Look at verse 3, it says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. David here is describing that, that overwhelming guilt, that overwhelming despair, that God wouldn't let him go. Let me just tell you, when you belong to God, he does not let you get by with wrong. He will bring correction into your life because he's a loving father. A loving father brings correction. We find this in Hebrews 12 where, where God talks about that a lot. That we are sons and we know we're sons because he disciplines us. He brings us under his discipline. But David said, I was always wasting away because day and night your hand was on me. Or was heavy on me. David felt that pressure. And there was this destruction of his unconfessed sin. And when we don't confess sin, we find that kind of destruction happening to us. And then he says at the end of the verse, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now I come from a hot place, and in the summer you just don't want to go outside. And if you get caught outside and start getting really severely sunburned, you don't have enough to drink, you get sick really quick. David said, not knowing my sin was forgiven was like that. But now I want you to see that that is the, he, the healing of forgiveness is you're blessed if you've been forgiven. But here is the honesty of confession. Beginning in verse 5, and these are some steps you can take uh, to not only know you're forgiven of God, but to forgive other people. First of all, in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. In other words, David named his sin by name. David didn't pretend like, and we saw this last week in verse 90, uh, Psalm 91, he didn't pretend he didn't do it, he didn't pretend it was something other than what it was, he just said, yep, I did it, I'm guilty of all those things. And, and he says here, I acknowledge my sin to you, I didn't cover my iniquity. Well, could David really cover his iniquity? We learn in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, that God sees the darkness and the light is the same to him. And what we think we do in the darkness that God didn't notice, he was with us when we did it. He knows it. David realized that God knew what he had done. And David trying to hide his sin and cover his sin was not going to work. God already 
knew. He said, so I, I, I could not cover my iniquity. I didn't know what to do. So I acknowledged it to you, and he said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Now, that word transgression, or, I mean, sorry, confession, is another word we need to understand. Because so many times when I talk to people, they say, yes, I, I pray for forgiveness. Well, that's not what he said. He said he, he confessed his sin. You say, isn't that same thing? No, it's two different things. You see, as a believer in Christ, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross has already covered all the sins of my life. Not only the ones that I have committed, but the ones I will commit. When Jesus died on the cross, I was 2,000 years from even being born. But yet his blood covers my sin now this is an issue that paul had to deal with in the new testament because there are some people say great if i'm forgiven i'll just go out and sin he said no that's not it when christ comes into your life you want to live like christ you don't want to sin anymore you begin to want to live righteously now that's not a physical possibility that we would be sinless and sinlessly perfect but we move from being a joyful sinner to a joyful saint that no longer desires sin. And if you do sin, you feel that guilt. And the only way you can relieve yourself of the guilt that you know that you've sinned against a holy God is to confess your sin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in court. I've been there a few times. Yeah, I, I know, for traffic tickets and all. I didn't steal or anything. And, and just one particular accident that, that I was in, a guy just stopped in the middle of the road in front of me, and I was looking down. I looked up, bang, I hit him. He was right in front of me, dead stop. He had nowhere to turn. There was no road, no driveway. He just stopped. It was on 9-11-2001. Never forget, I was trying to get home uh, because of the attack on the towers. And my kids were coming home from school. I was trying to get there. And something fell, and I looked away, and I looked up, and this guy just stopped. So I hit him. So I go to court, and uh, the judge hears from the policeman, and here's you know, the, the guy hits testimony, and he says, do you have anything to add to that? And I said, well, not really. And I, then I just told him what I just told you, what I had done. And the judge looked at the bailiff and said, that is the most honest testimony I've ever heard in this court. <laughs> well, I was kind of proud of that. I still had to, you know, go to traffic school and all. But I was real proud of what he said because he was saying I was being honest. That's what confession is. Confession is going before the judge, God, and saying, I agree with your judgment. I am guilty. You say, well, I thought you're forgiven. Well, you are, but you need to acknowledge to the judge that you were guilty, and you need to confess that by name, not make light of it. And in fact, David says, I did not cover my iniquity. I confess my transgression. That word cover, trying to cover, the word revelation is the opposite of that. It means to rip off the cover, to expose it. In other words, you agree with God I'm a sinner. You expose your heart and your life to God. And so when you acknowledge that, and then you confess the things I just said, you acknowledge your sin, and then you say to God, but I am a believer in Christ. Now listen, if you don't know Christ, if you're not a believer in Christ, now is the time that you need to bow your knee and say to him, I want you to be my Lord, my boss. I want to be literally your slave. I want to follow you and do whatever you taught to do in your word. I want to follow you, Christ, and I want to be yours. And if you will open your life to Christ, he will come in. He will save you from your sin. He will, all your sins will be forgiven, past, present, future, and you will have a hope of where you're going. 
But if you're a Christian already, as you confess that sin, you can claim when you did that. You can say, Lord, I don't belong to the devil. I don't need to follow what he's trying to get me to do or what I've done. I want to follow you. And you said this was sin. And you might even find some verses. There's plenty of verses here that can cover what we do. And say, this is what I did. And I, and, and I confess you. Remember last week, and if you don't, in, in Corinthians, there's a verse that says, "Godly or earthly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow leads to repentance. You can be sorry for your sin and not confess it. You can be sorry for your sin and not acknowledge your guilt and receive the knowledge of that forgiveness. But, but, but when Christ and when God comes and brings conviction, he doesn't bring condemnation. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But God brings conviction and you realize, man, I'm a sinner. This was awful what I did. And you go and you tell God about it. And you say, I don't belong to the devil. I belong to you. And right now I ask you to fill me once again with your Holy Spirit. In Psalm 91, David says, don't take your spirit away. And the Bible promises in Christ and the believer God does not take his spirit away, but, God can, but the spirit can be grieved and stop working in your life. And when you say, don't, Lord, fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Fill me back up. Make me brand new once again in you. In you. When you come to God, God will forgive. And, and so as we look at that, we realize that God does forgive. Because look at verse 6. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Now, you may not be like me, but when I read that verse, I went, huh? Because my experience, especially, I mean, if you're a kid and you know you did something mama told you not to do, man, you do your best not to get caught, don't you? You try to sneak, you try to hide. And then what, if you get away with it, you can't enjoy it because you know they're going to find out because mom's got eyes in the back of her head, right? I, I, it just was always funny to me how my kids could never figure out how we found out what they did. And I'm not going to let the secret out. But kids, one day when you get grown, you'll know about that, okay? Just telling you there's a, there's a secret there. But, but God sees what we do, and, and, and we feel that guilt. And, then, and, and so we try to avoid the authority that's going to get us. I mean, nobody goes 90 miles an hour down the interstate thinking, I'll never see a policeman. He's trying to avoid the policeman. He's got some device in his car. Or back in my day when I was young, we had CB radios. Now they got all kind of radar detectors and other things that you can do. And, and people just go flying down the road thinking they can get by. But man, when that authority sees them, it's coming after them. And so what I found is people know they've sinned against God. And instead of going to God, they run away from God. And that's the worst thing you can do. Right there in verse 6, he said, pray to God in a time he can be found. And he's talking about he prayed to God when he realized he was a sinner. I, I read a little cutesy saying, and I, I don't always like cutesy sayings, but I kind of like this one. The sinner says, I've sinned, I've got to run from God. The saint says, I've sinned, I've got to go tell my father about this. Because God is our Father. And when we go and say, Father, I've sinned against you. He even gave us a parable of the, of, we call it the prodigal son. A man who had two sons, older and a younger. And the younger son demanded his inheritance early. And he took it and he wasted it until he was flat broke. And he said, the, the, the slaves in my dad's house are better than, than where I am right now. 
And he went back and said, Dad, just let me be a slave. He said, Slave, no way, you're my son. And he brought him back and he forgave him and he restored him. Listen, the time to pray is when you know you've sinned. The time to run to the Father is when you know you've sinned. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. In other words, when that thing is overwhelming you, when it's coming at you, all that guilt, and you know that you have messed up, and it's about to overwhelm you, that can't hit God. It doesn't affect him. And so when you run to God, he shelters you. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Man, what an awesome thing. God preserves the godly. He takes us and he becomes a hiding place, and he preserves us. Now, Vance Abner said some Christians look like they've been pickled instead of preserved. But God preserves us. They're a little sour-faced, you know what I mean? But God preserves us. He, he holds us. He, he forgives us, and he sets us in a place of safety. Because, listen, I've blown it. I've blown it. I, I agree with what Paul said in Timothy. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the chief. Listen, if you don't think you're the chief of sinners, you haven't understood what you've done yet. And you need to understand it. Because then you will say with Paul, no, I'm the chief of sinners. We're all arguing over who's the worst. Listen, you're worse than you think you are. And when we come to God, we come with that kind of humble attitude and we find out we're forgiven and that God is our protector. God is the one that says, uh-uh, this one's mine. You can't have them. And he protects us and saves us when we come and confess our sin before god and acknowledge that we belong to him and that we no longer belong to satan and that we are forgiven and ask him to come and refresh us with the holy spirit listen what a joy we let go of that stuff and when we realize that people have sinned against us what we remember is wait a minute god forgave me for more than i got to forgive them for number one number two I ain't God, and I don't know everything about them. And so God's going to have to deal with them. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of freedom. When you think you need revenge, turning it over to God, because God knows all of us so well. He knows what to do. See, in verse verse 8, God is our teacher. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God says, I will lead you. In, 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 in fact, in Psalm 23, he leads us in the paths of righteousness. And then here's a very good verse, and you need to hear this verse. Verse 9, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be clo- uh, uh, curved with bits and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Sometimes people say, well, you know, if God opens the door, I will do this or that. Well, I know this, if you open the corral door, the horse will feel led to leave. (laughs) But if you keep the door shut, he'll feel led to stay. And right here it says, don't be like a horse. A horse doesn't care if he's being ridden by a bad man or a good man. Every western I ever saw, the bad guys and the good guys were riding on horses. (laughs) And they were all guiding them with brits and bridles. He says, seek me, I will lead you, I will guide you. And when we have God guiding us, we will seek God instead of seeking wisdom, our own wisdom. And as we, God teaches us, as he said in verse 8, and we seek God, he reveals his will to us. And in verse 10, the first part of the verse says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked. If, 
if you stay in your sin, man, you're going to have nothing but sorrow. But look what it says after that. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. When you give God your sin and you hand him your, your wickedness and he forgives that, when you realize that, you'll forgive your fellow man because nobody can do anything to you that was worse than what you've done to God. And God forgave you for it. That is such an important element to remember. And in fact, this word here is a word spelled in English, C-H-E-C-E-D. It is a Hebrew word we don't know how to translate. We cannot in human language translate that word into all it means. It is so wonderful, so beautiful. And he says that love, that chesed love, I don't know if I'm even pronouncing it right, but that's okay, nobody does anymore about Hebrew, but that love, that everlasting love surrounds us and envelops us. The Bible talks in, in, in the New Testament, we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. We are surrounded by God. That word baptism means to surround, totally surround. That's why we're Baptist and we surround you with water. We put you underwater. We are baptized in the Spirit. We're surrounded by the Holy Spirit. God himself surrounds us. And so his everlasting love is always with us. And so the results in verse 11. So be glad and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. There was a time when Baptists were known as shouting Baptists. And we've lost that, man. Sometimes you go in some Baptist churches, and they start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. I mean, a lot of them are dead and just don't have the decency to lay down. You know what I'm talking about? It's just, it's just rough. Man, if you realize, I was lost. I'm on my way to hell I have no way that I can offer a sacrifice to God that will please him, that will forgive me of my sin. But God himself supplied the sacrifice. I can fall at his feet before his cross and say, Lord Jesus, be my master and Lord. And he'll forgive your, your sin. And man, he declares you righteous. He gives you his righteousness. And so we got something to shout about. We can rejoice and we can shout because God is in our life. Well, what can you do with some of this this week? Well, first of all, I would suggest that you repent, repent over any unconfessed sin. If there's sin in your life, listen, the sin might be that you're unforgiving towards someone else. But if there's unforgiven sin in your life, unconfessed sin, confess it, repent of it, let God heal you. And then, secondly, forgive anybody that has sinned against you. Quit seeking revenge either in your mind or actually. Let it go. God forgave you, man. And you're only going to live on this planet a few years, and then you're going to be with God. And so it's best just to go ahead and forgive. And then don't just wait on a door to open. Seek God's will and follow him. Go after God and seek him. And I pray God will bless you. In fact, let me read this blessing out of the book of Jude, chapter 20. Uh, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.